Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. Welcome to episode 42, right? I think 42, so. Joe. <laughs> episode 42 of Arise the Armsman's podcast. Um, we have a, a very special guest with us, someone we've never had before. And I think I, Jai and, and, and Chris got connected because uh, Chris heard Jai on Wisdom of the Sages and they had some exchange, but I don't think they've met each other in person. Have you guys met We have once yeah. at the Jagannath ah. for this year. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice. Anyway, this is going to be... Um, this is a completely new subject matter. We're basically launching into a little uh, a little health series, and Chris is uh, is kicking us off with breath is the greatest strength. So we're 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 basically just gonna gonna let Chris uh, introduce himself and just and just tell us his story um, of what has gotten him to become an expert in this in this in this particular field and his journey with Bhakti and everything. So. We're basically just gonna. Jai, do you want to say something before Chris gets into it? Um, no, I think you hit all the major points. We're trying to do a health series. I think it kind of started a couple of weeks ago with Ayurveda, and now we're doing something. Oh yeah. Breath. We want. We're gonna next week. We're gonna have a power lifter, <laughs> and mm-hmm. maybe some yoga and some pranayama. So we're kind of doing a little health series. Um, I've mentioned this in my sharing of the blurb on Facebook that when Uddhava asked Krishna what is strength, Krishna responds by saying pranayama, which is like breath control, is the greatest strength. And that statement has like sat in my mind for years, since the beginning, because just like you don't connect breath and strength in a typical Western upbringing. So it just like kind of didn't make sense. And as I became a little bit more familiar with pranayama as a exercise within the yoga tradition, I was like, okay, there's something to this that's very kind of profound, but bhakti doesn't exactly speak to the necessities of those sorts of yogic practices. So it's not something that I personally pursued. But then this Wim Hof, who's also famously known as the Iceman, kind of blew up in the last four or five years, right? Something like that, last four or five five, years. And it's like traveling the world and he's super popular because of the amazing feats that he's been able to accomplish with his breathing technique. I think he's broken, like, I was watching some, um, you know, some videos and some hearing some podcasts all this morning, actually. And I think they say he's like broken like 26 world records Mm -hmm. with his breathing stuff and like all sorts of wild stuff definitely demonstrating this idea that breath is strength so yeah i wanted to get into that like kind of demystify that a little bit we can maybe, do that yeah and also because health is such a big subject right now in the world psyche and we're not going to get into that too much but you know what is what is like the wise health decisions so i'm curious because i think you're starting a business which you're calling sovereign souls right that's correct yeah and this word sovereignty has been like an important one to me in terms of like the male journey into completion let's say and so i've been kind of interested like the sort of health choices that make you autonomous are like the best ones and not the ones that make you dependent 
you know, on this and that every two months. <laughs> anyway, not going there. So yeah, this is kind of my inspiration for inviting you on for this particular episode. So yeah, let's start with your journey. Let's definitely start there. But I wanted to share that there's a lot going on in my head when I invited you at yes, this particular exactly. time. There's a lot going on there. This is a perfect time for it. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you guys and to be able to you know, have a little bit of a platform to, to talk about this because this is a really, really important time, particularly to understand the breath because the breath can lead to so much autonomy. Mm -hmm. If we look at our physiology, a lot of it is automated. We don't control our heartbeat. We don't control our digestion directly. But the breath, the breath is something that we can control, but it's also autonomic. So it can mm -hmm. act as our key into the rest of the physiology. Um, so as you uh, introduce me, my name is Christopher Villanella. I'm originally from New That's York. That's such a cool last name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> East Coast Italian. Uh, yeah, I'm originally from New York, but I currently live in Portland, Oregon. And so I practice and teach a system of breathing, cold exposure and mindset, which you touched on called the Wim Hof method. Mm. Uh, I also teach and practice another system that teaches um, the nature of functional breathing. And that's called the oxygen advantage. Mm. The Wim Hof method, it allows us to regulate our mood through influencing the hormonal system, to boost our health by influencing the immune system, and uh, improve our strength and fitness through influencing how the cells produce energy, as well as much, much more. The oxygen advantage really teaches how to breathe properly just throughout our waking and sleeping. Uh, and that improves quality of life all around. So I found the people that I work with using the Wim Hof method have success in three major categories. Mm. Uh, there's often a lot of trauma release and dealing with depression. Uh, people find relief from autoimmune conditions. And these are often oh. conditions that medication can't help or can only help for so long. You know, Wim Hof's popular enough right now that if you're kind of frustrated and the typical medical models have not given you relief and you type in a, the computer, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, what do I do? Um, Wim Hof will pop up if it's wow. helping people with that. And there's also tremendous amount of studies. So the Wim Hof method really started with him going the route that you mentioned, uh, setting 26 world records. And, um, you know, it's not all about breath though, in those records. He used the breath to achieve to connection, to be able to control the body with the mind mm. and, uh, and was able to do these wild things. But later, and more recently went through science. So there's something like a dozen studies that have been done. And um, each one confirmed these things he had said in the past that almost sounded like wild claims, uh, even to me. I mean, I love this guy and I got to train with him and meet him. And, uh, you know, we'd be doing breathing and he would be saying stuff like, ah, oh, we're getting into your brainstem. <laughs> <laughs> That's an impossible. I didn't think he was like lying or trying to convince me of something, but I thought he was just, it was hyperbole, you know, because mm. um, I got into this before the science was really, really picking up. There was a couple studies done already. And uh, and it turns out, no, we are actually getting into the brainstem. You can see it on on a brain scan. We're getting mm. into the DNA. Uh, we, it's true. I definitely didn't think that one was true. It's affecting the telomeres. Um, so I'm newer to working with the oxygen advantage system. But I found it to work really well with helping with people with many respiratory issues um, from sleep apnea and general snoring to asthma. You know, people with asthma uh, are finding 
they're getting off of like 50% of all their medications in three months of doing this oxygen advantage. And both um, of these things are really simple. So my story feels long and winding, but really when I was thinking about it to talk to you guys about it, it kind of reads like a straight line putting me right where I am today. Sure. Um, as a kid, I found that conventional wisdom and institutions pointed me in the wrong direction from day one. Uh, and I found myself skeptical of them from an early age. So, you know, like right from when I was born, doctors convinced my mother that uh, bottle feeding was superior to breastfeeding. Mm. Well, when you bottle feed a baby, the chances of them mouth breathing are much, much higher. And mouth breathing leads to poor development of the airways and being more prone to mouth breathe in the future. Mm. When you're breathing through the mouth all the time, your chemistry is off. If your chemistry is off, your mood is off. Your breathing's not right, so the body and the mind aren't right. And this led to being uh, maybe around six or seven where doctors said, hey, this kid doesn't breathe right. He probably has asthma. He needs surgeries. And uh, so they removed my tonsils and my agnoids as a kid. And there was never any talk of breathing. How is this person breathing? What's the pattern? What's the problem? They removed those things. And, uh, and then my breathing was even worse probably because it was damaged, the body was inflamed. And then I had typical, you know, poor diet. Um, and as a child and a young man, I was sick all the time. Uh. You know, humans are, are so adaptable. I just kind of got used to it. And then in school, you know, this is not a completely atypical story. I just didn't really fit in. I wasn't really like the other kids. And so the solution there was uh, medication. I had teachers and counselors trying to medicate me with antidepressants or things to calm me down. I wasn't particularly hyper and I wasn't particularly depressed. I just saw a world that I didn't really fit into and was trying to find my way in it. So luckily I already had a mistrust of these sort of institutions and I rejected those medications. Um, and it was that was quite a fight. But uh, I'm glad a fight I fight with home, like your parents or it felt like everybody, every authority uh... figure in my world, parents, teachers, counselors. And um, that I'm glad I did because I, a lot of my friends didn't and they succumb to that sort of pressure. And, you know, I'm 36 now, so I've had time to see the outcomes it often wasn't so good. You know, people's mental health suffered, people's physical health suffered from getting on medication as, as teenagers. So I left school at 16 years old. I wanted out. Uh, I didn't think they had anything to teach me. I thought about it. It wasn't just a, a pure rejection. It was, I saw what I was being taught and I, I just didn't buy it. And I knew that there was more out there. And so I went, I went and I went to seek it myself. Mm. And um, I'd already kind of found that punk rock was speaking my language. And I kind of <laughs> immersed myself in the punk scene of the Lower East Side. And, um, and that felt very good because when I felt like I was all alone seeing a world that didn't make sense and I had other people around me, some camaraderie in that, okay, you guys get what I'm saying. So it offered me that. I knew I wasn't crazy anymore because sometimes I was kind of wondering. <laughs> but, but the type right. of punk I got into, it didn't offer me much more than that because it was very nihilistic. You know, mm. it kind of we pointed out the problem, but we didn't have a solution. And, um, as I've mentioned to you both, that that put me uh, in Tompkins Square Park. That was like the heart of Lower East Side punk rock. It's funny when I've heard some people kind of from a generation above me's stories with it, 
I heard Dr. Louis talking on uh, Wisdom of the Sages about how he ended up in that park, uh, you know, probably 20 years before me. And I resonated with that so much because no one told me the internet wasn't even a thing yet, really. And no one told me that this is the spot. I just remember hanging around the West Village because that's where the weirdos were at and walking down 8th uh, St. Mark's, you know, and it just yeah. magnet just sucked me into that park, you know. Um, yeah, I didn't know any punk rock or hardcore history or Hare Krishna history or anything like that. It's just that that's where I got pulled. So I, I came of age staring at Prabhupada's tree and uh, and feeling a pull there, too. But being scarred from, you know, kind of a authority systems and spirituality looked like that to me. So I mm. never really I never really associated. But I was always peeking over those benches to see what the Krishnas were up to when they were around. So eventually I left New York City and uh, I was actually riding freight trains because I couldn't find what I wanted in school or my home. I couldn't find it in the punk rock scene. And so I went out looking broader and uh, I didn't have any money. So the option was freight trains. And uh, I, I rode freight trains for many years, actually. And now that I know a little bit more about Vedic culture, I was like, oh, that was kind of like a sadhu archetype. You know, I didn't <laughs> stay anywhere for very long. Chris, how exactly would you go about that? Would you just jump them? Like, mm -hmm. how, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, you now it's probably different now because the, the Internet's changed everything. But back then I had one friend or, or more like an association, a guy I knew. Yeah. And um, I knew he did that. And he was this grizzled guy with tattoos on his face. And I went up to him and I said, I got to get out of here. How do you do that? And he drew me a map of a train yard in Philadelphia on a napkin. And uh, that was my starting point that I had. And I took a Chinatown bus to Philadelphia and waited in that train yard. And um, yeah, it took a bit of courage. You know, it was a big leap into the unknown. But yeah, yeah I snuck onto a Tropicana orange juice train. And <laughs> seven hours later, I was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> but the well, feeling was amazing. The feeling was amazing. And I lived like that, like didn't stay anywhere for too long, didn't use money very much, uh, more than I needed to, didn't really have an option, but I found so much grace in that lifestyle. So much grace because wherever I was, I was taken care of. And I thought about a lot of my friends back home that were kind of in these systems that I was trying to get away from. And, um, and I think a lot of them being there was, that's what you're supposed to do. And they were there because of fear, you know, fear of what happens if you go outside of that. And I took that leap of courage and, and found that I was always taken care of. I was always connected. There was food when I needed food. There was always some job when I needed a job. Um, I think the seeds of spirituality were really first being watered for me there in that lifestyle. Mm. I kept me there maybe longer than I needed to be there. You know, I was doing that for like seven years and um, wow. probably, probably could slow down a little earlier. And so doing that also and not having a lot of money, it put me in a lot of uh, Krishna temples because I was looking for food and you guys had prasad. And so I was eating a lot of prasad. And, but every time someone ever came up to me and said, oh, do you want to come for this? No. <laughs> no. And I completely just I put my foot down. I'm here for food and that's it. Um, and everyone was okay with that. I should have taken that maybe as a sign right there that <laughs> these are all right people. So, <laughs> flash forward, um, I settled down in California when I was about 29 in the Bay Area. 
and I had a, a baby with my partner that I've been with for a while. And having this baby in my life made me start reflecting on my vast shortcomings, thinking, okay, how do I shore some stuff up? You know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of generational trauma in my family, and I didn't want to. Mm. I saw this golden opportunity where I could be a catalyst to change these things. And so thinking about that stuff, I realized that I'd been in survival mode for so long. I was so good at that. I mean, New York City in, in the late 90s and early 2000s was still pretty crazy, you know. And um, But being in survival mode all the time, it, it blocked me from the heart. I believe I built a wall around that heart when I was a kid just to protect myself. And I didn't know how to get in now. And having a kid, you know, you feel the stirrings there in the heart. But, um, but I realized I needed to get more in touch with it. And to be honest, I didn't even realize that there was a wall at that time, but I knew there was a disconnect. So I'd always been really interested in people doing seemingly impossible things. So I was reading books about ultra runners and people who survive crazy disasters, you know, shipwrecks and plane crashes and, um, and yogis. And, and through that interest, I came across this guy, Wim Hof. And uh, like your research recently, Jay, I found these world records. And that's what first kind of drew me in. Wow. How does this guy, and Wim's an amazing guy. At 50 years old, he climbs Mount Everest in just shorts and no shirt. You know, how do you do that? To, to put that in perspective for myself, I looked up what it usually takes to climb Mount Everest. And guys in the prime of their lives, athletic peaks, are going up there with support and $7,000 outfits on, you know? And this guy just went up there. So it got me interested, but I quickly realized that it wasn't the records that interested me. It was the possibility. And that's what always interested me about these sort of books about people doing seemingly impossible things. If this person can do it, what does that mean for me? We're both human. Uh, mm. Changes the barrier of what's possible in my own mind. So I looked into Wim and I found a tutorial. This is before he was as big as he is now. There wasn't a lot of information out there. And I found a tutorial on how to do the breathing and I tried it. And in my first session there, I felt a level of deep meditation I never found before. You know, by this point, I tried uh, many different types of meditation. I'd read a lot of philosophy and things like that through my travels. And uh, it fascinated me, but I, I never fell into it. I never felt mm. like it was happening for me. And in this mm. one breathing session, I felt joy and peace and transcendence. And um, I went back again and again to it. And early on in one of these first you know, sessions of my first couple months doing it, I heard these questions bubble up for me. It was somewhere between, it was almost like actually hearing a voice. Um, something between hearing a voice and seeing a vision. I can't quite describe it, but the questions were very uh, fundamental. Who are you? Who are you really? Not who you say you are, not who you think you are. Who are you really beyond these narratives? And what are you doing? What's your purpose? So these, so these questions were popping up for you after you started um, these breathing exercises, but before you actually started to train with Wim Hof, I'm just trying to yes. keep the timeline clear. Okay. Yeah, I, just, exactly. I find that very interesting. You know, this morning on my social media, I just shared this quote that I really was appreciating. And the quote said that you don't, you don't think, you don't think yourself into a new way of living. You live yourself into a new way of thinking. I might a new be way just, of thinking. Did I, mm -hmm. was that the quote? I, 
Dude, I used to have raw memory. Now my memory is... No, but that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, we don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. And just this this breathing thing and how that is leading to these questions coming up seems like an example of what this quote is alluding to. Anyway, just interesting. I'm keeping the timeline in my head. We live in this frontal cortex. You know, we're schooled just to be here, not to be anywhere else. And you can even see it, again, on, on brain scans. You get... 25% 25% more activity, 25% more blood flow here because mm. it's, just, it's just dominating, you know, mm. and there's the rest of the brain has a job. The heart has a job. More signals actually go from the heart to the brain than the brain to the heart. Mm. So, yeah, I was feeling it, which is you can't think your way into a lot of or out of a lot of these things. You have to. Right. Right. As those questions came up. Uh, I brought them to my the wisest friend I had at the time, who was a, a an acupuncturist, and she sent me to her friend. Said, "Sit down with this guy. I think he knows. He's a something called a Jyotish. I didn't know what that was. You know, uh. he sat down with me. And he did my chart, but as he, he heard my why I was coming to him, he said, hey, "Man, I'm looking at your chart. Just just read this." And he gave me a Gita. And uh, and that made me laugh because you know how many times people have tried to hand me that book before. <laughs> Chris, you're not letting you get away from it. It's like this Gita, bro. And, yeah. and, and as I started reading it, the first thing that struck me was, like, yeah, I mean, it answered these very, very foundational questions I had. And if these guys knew how to answer this question through spans of thousands of years of time, and that answer is still completely intact, and that question is still the same question, mm. it gave me a clue that, Okay, I'm, I have some trust in this. You know, they, mm. they understand the human spirit enough for this question, this answer to still be relevant. So I was studying the Gita and studying to become a Wim Hof instructor at the same time. And together they uh, create a very transformative atmosphere for me. Wait, so when did you, from when these questions come up, because you're saying you studied the Gita and Wim Hof at the same time. So when did you go for training with Wim Hof or for this Wim Hof technique? Nearly immediately. Like, I mean, within oh. the first part of the training, and they might've changed it by now. You know, the, I'm thinking that maybe the second or third wave of teachers that came out of the Wim Hof okay. method. And uh, the first wave was just, you were most likely Dutch and you hung out with Wim Hof and did lots of crazy things and you became a teacher. <laughs> 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 it sounded like a lot of fun. By my wave, like the second or third, I think I would be in, we had like, a little manual and and we did some actual training that was thought out now i think it's it's even more who, who was conduct who was conducting the training wim and uh his well the way i think wim would have been not known right now if it wasn't for his, his kids really uh, yeah i heard his eldest son specifically had like a real business savvy and he does yeah Oh, that he got popular and kind of spread around. Yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, Wim, was, Wim was trying to do it just through these world records and stuff. And it might have been his idea to do it through science. But the he's got five children now, four adult children and uh, and one three-year-old. <laughs> and so he um, the kids kind of came around him and they formed the company. And they mm. helped really focus this through science. And so... His kids had a large part to do with um, running the academy, the Inner Fire mm. Academy, where we train. And two of the earliest instructors were in doing the day in and day out stuff of the training. And then Wim pops in every day, or I don't know how they do it now, and um, 
and yeah, just speaks from the heart. And he's a really motivational guy. Like being around him, you feel like extremely powerful. You know, Can I? Like, I'm gonna ask about that because one thing you said earlier about it wasn't the world records that attracted you, but it was the possibility. Mm -hmm. And that made me think, like personally, that's how I kind of view the mystics of any tradition. I see the mystics as representing the possibility that's available for all living beings. You know, maybe very few actually get, you know, achieve that possibility, but they represent the possibility within consciousness that all can achieve. And you're kind of working with a mystic of sorts in this sense. And mm -hmm. how was that experience for you? This is like pre-Krishna consciousness, but you're reading mm -hmm. the Gita and you're kind of mm -hmm. working with a mystic. I'm kind of just a little interested in that. Not like super details, but just your experience of working with like a real mystic of sorts. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a feeling it's, um, I think Wim's really clever. He's very, very, very intelligent. I mean, the man speaks 12 languages. He can rattle off slokas all day. Um, and he was reading the children, uh, Gita and uh, Bhagavatam as bedtime stories when they were a kid. But part of, part of his intelligence is he didn't talk about that in the past because he believed he would be discredited right away. So he's uh. science. Now is... You know, we have five years of science uh, validating almost everything he said, everything actually to date, pretty much. And uh, now I hear him starting to talk a little bit more about that that aspect, you know. Mm. But what he brought was he found that he was looking for the mystic and couldn't really find it. Found a lot of people that I think he found to be charlatans. And so he found that the cold, that was the mystic, you know, that brought you right into nature right into your own mysticism in touch with your own spirit uh, and i found that being around him being around a person like that it's simply that 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 energy it's like you can't you can't not be infected with it you know uh it's really really powerful we climbed a mountain in poland in late november wearing just shorts and uh Granted, we you know we've used these sort of um, exercises. We use the cold training. We use the breathing to tune up our vascular system and our hormonal system. So we're running, you know, at the physiologically in peak condition. But we went up that mountain, and it wasn't any tough guy stuff. It wasn't like we just survived it. It was like a walk in the park. It felt good. It felt better than a walk in the park on a spring day. We were we were warm the whole time. Dude, that's mind blowing, dude. It is but how how much how much like conscious intentional effort did you have to consistently be investing in your breathing to be able to maintain that level of comfort or does the breathing just become like automatic yeah that's a good question we you don't we don't use the breathing for that sort of um, mountain climb there is a, <laughs> a a full i mean in the moment beforehand it primes mm. the system and it actually changes some proteins in the blood that relate to how we experience pain. Um, so you don't feel maybe the sting of things quite as much. And I think what's also happening there is that the breathing makes your body very alkaline. And in an alkaline body, the nervous system can communicate better. And so you have a better mind-body connection. So focus is required 
the entire time up that mountain. We're not talking about stuff. We're not joking around. Um, I think Wim played a really good trick on us in that in that trip, where the plan was to go to the top of this mountain, uh, a few hours hike, and then we were going to put our clothes back on and come down. And we went up so easily at that point, easier than any group had gone up before. That at the top, I think he decided to give us like a little extra credit challenge. So the whole way up, we're, we're very focused. We're not chatting unnecessarily. We're just thinking about what we're doing. And when we get up there, he said, hey, does everyone want to take pictures with me? Which everyone always does, you know? So now everyone's laughing and taking pictures. And we're, oh, you feel the cold creeping in a little bit because you're not focused. And then he let people start putting their clothes back on. He was like, pack the clothes up. We're going down no clothes. And I felt this very, very... Um, palpable moment in me where a little fear set in and I felt the cold set in and I had to grab the reins on my mind and my body again and really wrestle it a little bit. And then once I got back into focus, I was, I was warm again. No problem. Oh man. It sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Like unprecedented Chris, like you having this moment of, Raining your foot, like raining yourself in, rebooting your focus. What is the actual thing that you do? Like, what are what exactly are you focusing on? Because you're saying like you were you were sort of priming the body with breathing before you started the ascent. Mm-hmm. So then at the top, you like lose focus, cold. Uh, so then what, what do you actually do? Is it, is it a breathing technique again? Or like, what is that focus? No, it's not. It can't really be intellectualized. It's, it, the best I can say for that is it's like a very subtle conversation that's happening between the mind and the body. And maybe the spirit starts the conversation and says, okay, we can do this. You know, it's no, you feel that cold coming in don't give way to fear it's like have you ever had a you're about to sneeze and you fight the sneeze off you know it's very subtle where you're just going hey it's okay it's okay we're calm we're calm and it happens you know it's it's something really really subtle but it's it's a conversation is the best way i can you can be described i think you did a good job it's so hard to conceive because we're so disconnected from the mind and so disconnected from the body that even a thought of that level of mind control doesn't strike most people as a possibility whatsoever. Right. And right. so when you're trying to describe it, we're just like, yeah, okay. It's belief too. You know, it's like, okay, I can think about my hand becoming warm and my hand will become warm. Uh, now, is that something because I trained the vascular system? Yeah, a little bit, but also I'm so, I've become so familiar through doing this process a lot through this conversation into the mind and the body. Right. Everyone can do this stuff. And that's right. what, what's really nice about Wim's message. You know, this seems like a miracle to some degree to be able to fight off something like E. coli, um, but it's it's not a miracle. It's just that we are become so disconnected. The bar for miracles has actually become quite low. You know, be, being strong <laughs> and being happy and being healthy, that's not, it shouldn't be a miracle. That's the way we were born. Mm. you chris something that i that i'm appreciating about you right now is that you have this energy you seem like profoundly present you're like you're just like really present and i'm i'm wondering after having gone through this training with wim 
and then starting this this practice as 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 a kind of a full-time thing in your life and having done that now for some time how long has it been like seven years uh, almost seven yeah just about okay seven so like now having reached the point where where you are right now in your life like like tell us about your lifestyle you know what what do you do what don't you do what are your regular practices like 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 how has this transformed you into what you do on the daily hmm. well i was always kind of regimented in my daily life um this provides a really really good anchor so i wake up um you know just before the sun comes up I try and go outside and get some air on me right away, drink a glass of water, shake my body out a little bit. And then I go right to my mat. Uh, I like to do my breathing in front of my altar, laying down where I also do puja and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I go through three or four rounds of breathing and um, it's like a little exercise in transcendence every day for me. You know, I've, I've got it down because I'm always paying attention and tweaking my breathing to where every single time it's near, it's a psychedelic experience for me. Like my consciousness and my body separate a bit. And I think that's a good practice for me personally to, to look at the body in that way and go, Oh, I see you down there, you know, and, and go somewhere else and leave this reality a little bit. And um, yeah, after that I do my uh, Japa. And uh, then I usually go outside and jump in the ice bath. And that's having that morning routine. It sets my tone for the entire rest of the day. Um, so when you do ice bath every day? you Most days, yeah. Almost every day. <laughs> how long? You know, how long for me or how long is recommended? No, no. How long for you? For me, I don't really time it. I mean, I'm, it's, a, it's that subtle conversation again. You know, it's a, uh, well, first of all, there's extenuating factors is, is the water at 35 degrees or is it at 42 degrees? Um, it's not really a time thing. It's, I feel that I feel the body. I feel, I feel the body yelling at me sometimes, you know, get out, get out. And once I have that conversation with it, oh, okay. I see this, I see this, um, desire and aversion there, right? I see the want to leave. And I don't need to listen to that. You know, I can be separate from that. And once I find calmness in my actual, you know, breathing, because it will take your breath away a little bit for a few seconds and, <laughs> and just get to observe it all. Uh, this is kind of the pathway to becoming for me, the, the pilot of the body and not merely the passenger getting led around. So the, the transfer to the spiritual practice, it's like they just dovetail so, so perfectly. Wow. Yeah, I have a I have a god sister who does an hour of pranayam before she chants japa. And she says the japa that she does after pranayam is just like you know, she's just like dead focused and alive and like practically floating. Yeah. I can I can I can only imagine. I I can literally only imagine. Um okay, so like so like chris then, then then you get out okay but approximately how long like how long more or less it depends on what i'm doing the minimum effective dose like two minutes okay and, and uh but some days let's say i feel some 
stagnation in my life or I feel some stress working on me. And I, let's say I feel the mind controlling me rather than me controlling the mind and the body. Mm. Then I might work up to, now I'm not going to jump in for 20 minutes all at once necessarily, but um, let's say I'll do five minutes one day and 10 minutes the next day and 15 minutes the next day and work up to 20 minutes. This is now totally around. Sorry, Carrie, okay. continue. Uh, the, uh, the big difference though, there's a humongous difference between being in this um, deep freezer I've converted into an ice bath in my backyard and being out in nature. So the last couple of winters since I've lived in Oregon, um, I have, my son is just about to be seven and uh, we would go up every weekend to Mount Hood, which is not so far from our house. And we would do some sledding, except for I wasn't wearing any clothes, but my shorts. <laughs> and that would just be, it was an experiment. Kind of like on the mountain with Wim, I felt no nothing but ease. You know, I thought, now I'm very cognizant because I have a child with me that I have to pay attention to. I can't be completely focused on myself. Um, so I made sure the car was close and I could like get changed if I needed to. And I expected almost that, oh, maybe I'll be out here for 30 minutes and then I'll go do that, you know. Um, but something about just being in the moment with the kid and what we were sledding, throwing snowballs at each other and playing around for hours. And uh, and I felt no, no coldness. <laughs> I'm not being a tough guy. If I felt coldness creep in, then the experiment's done. Okay, that's how far I could go. But um, but yeah, I just felt good. Is is there ever just like a shower on the menu for you? Like I'm just gonna take, you know, a shower, or is it just like 100%. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. In the uh, in, in the winters, especially with the water's colder here, I'll mm. maybe just use the shower so I don't have to get a towel and you know do all that stuff. But um, I just know what I need for a dose to feel like I'm getting connected, and that's for me. That's primarily what it's about. Now the side effect is, um, you know, heart disease number one killer in the world. Uh, when you get in cold, you mean water, more than COVID? Okay, just scratch that. I'm just being yeah. a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm being I, petty. This. <laughs> I have million points. I mean, I can give you some ammo for that stuff too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but by by so so much. And when you get in cold water, we have about sixty six thousand to eighty thousand miles in our vascular system. Mm. We don't exercise it, and that's I guess what I really want to get forth to you guys and and, and any listeners about the Wim Hof method. It's simply a stimulus. You know, nature is designed to be balanced and regulated. And we've moved so far away from nature and so much into comfort. And it's not that mm. comfort is a bad thing in and of itself, but it means that we removed a lot of the stimuluses that we were adapted to be with and evolved to be with. And one of those stimuluses is cold. So when you're cold, your vascular system has that 66,000 to 80,000 miles you know, to put that in perspective, it could wrap around the globe two and a half, three times. The tiny muscles around it contract when it's cold and expand when they're warm. And our vascular system just doesn't know how to do that anymore. Because when we're cold, naturally, you put on a jacket, you turn on the heat. You know, when you're warm, you put on the air conditioner. And so just by virtue of introducing a little bit of cold on the physiological side of things, we're tuning up the entire vascular system. And that could very realistically, a two minute cold shower every day could reduce heart disease by who knows, you know, untold number. Wow. Yeah. I used to hear, you know, when I joined the ashram, um, cold showers was like 
like you weren't a brahmacharya unless you did cold showers yeah so i remember the first two years i was like extremely rigid about taking cold showers because that's the standard then i got super sick one year and i connected it to the cold shower so it's been an off and on love affair since then mm -hmm. you know i have my periods where i'm into it but I, I remember i remember seeing like all these in the bathroom in our monastery one of the sannyasis have put like a list of the benefits of cold showers mm -hmm. and they just weren't didn't sound super compelling like i just remember reading it and not feeling compelled to like take it just because of that you know mm -hmm. maybe if i had a her you're gonna reduce heart disease i'm like, oh snap for real i mean there's a lot there's a lot more to it than right that. so cold you got to keep in mind that it's a stressor so right. we use it you know as a stressor to elicit strength, like weightlifting. You know, weightlifting mm -hmm. is not good for you in and of itself. It's uh, slightly damaging, but if you do the right amount, the right weight, the right reps and sets, you're damaging the body just so slightly to elicit it to come back stronger. That's a, mm -hmm. a biological concept called hormesis. And the cold's the same. So the cold's all good for keeping you strong and making you feel good. If you're under the weather, or you feel like something might be getting you, then it might be time to back off. Right. So how did you, you're super duper articulate, like, like the way you're articulating this with the science and it's compelling. Like I would be very compelled and I'm curious, not curious. I want to hear your story of how you got into like teaching this. Cause now you've been teaching this, holding workshops. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear about, that relationship with your students and the impact that's had on you teaching it and on them receiving this sort of training and how it's transformed their lives also. Yeah, I would love to tell you about that. Um, I don't feel, I feel like I'm not articulate. I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place because there's so much I want to tell you guys about it. But thanks. Yeah, pen me in with the questions. That makes it <laughs> easier. Um, for teaching, I, so I became a teacher for myself, not, not for other people. I just wanted to go deeper. I wanted to see what this is about. And that's the way I am when I'm interested in something. I want to go all the way, especially that was my mode before I had a child and was living a family life because I, I had that freedom to go all in on whatever I was doing. Mm. And, um, it was so fun and it made me feel so good that I used to hold like sliding scale workshops at my house. Um, in California and I'd have people come over and they would we'd have we'd all have a good time um, but I wasn't too serious about it and I'd done a lot of those um, but in the beginning of the pandemic and I kind of stepped back and said well, what's going on here I see the primary thing I see is is a lot of fear and a lot of things that are not good for the immune system division mm. isolation and fear and in one of my breathing sessions, so even earlier when I said I heard the voice in my breathing session, when I do a few rounds of breathing, right? The, what the Wim Hof Method breathing is, is three or four rounds of 30 to 40 breaths, followed by a long retention time where we have no breathing and mm -hmm. uh, then a recovery breath. When I'm done with all those rounds, I'm in a completely different mindset. And that's when lots of ideas or pictures come in my mind or, you know, I, I hear voices so to speak um and during one of those breathing sessions i had the gita flashed in my mind of do your duty right like there's a big call to action there do your duty and what is your mm. duty? your duty is 
what is in front of you to do, you know, ask that question, what's yours to do. Mm. And I was sitting there frustrated about this fear and, and division. And I knew I had a tool that could help bring people together and, and empower people, a tool that fit perfectly. You know, I'm pretty careful not to be like, I'm a hammer and everything's a nail, but this fits so perfectly. Um, one of the things that put the Wim Hof method on the map scientifically was the uh, E. coli study. That was one of the first big, big things that people took notice of. So women mm. saying, I can control my immune system and you can too, anyone can. And so they set up a study where they injected him with uh, endotoxin E. coli at a place that studied the response of the immune system to E. coli and Wim Hof didn't get sick. But they said, oh, well, you're this special guy. You're the Iceman, you're an outlier. Of course, science is supposed to do that. So he said, no, 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 anyone can do this. And he set up another study, double blind, and he trained these people for, I think the scientists thought, oh, you're going to need like what, six months or a year? <laughs> one week. Give me one week. <laughs> and he only trained these volunteers, random volunteers, for actually four days in person, just doing the basic breathing and cold showers that we do. And, uh, and they had 100% score. No one got sick. Dang. I saw that in the documentary I, I was watching. So this made a big splash because it was undeniable. Something's happening here. It was the first evidence that we've had that the immune system can be influenced and potentially controlled by our own willpower. And uh, what was going on there, to put it really, really simply, without getting too much into the science, is through these proteins in the blood called interleukins, it downregulated the interleukins that signal inflammation, and it upregulated the ones that fight inflammation. And so if we translate that to, to COVID, it's actually some of the same interleukins, uh, interleukin 6, 11, and 1, I believe. Uh, you know, what's primarily hurting people in COVID situations, it's not COVID itself. It's the, the catastrophic inflammation that results from COVID. Mm. So here we have a scientifically proven way to reduce inflammation. Now, I'm not saying this is a cure. I'm saying that this is something that absolutely merits more investigation and research. Mm. Uh, and so that was what was my impetus to teach, was that, that I knew that this could actually really help. There's also, um, as I mentioned earlier, the body becomes very alkaline when you do this. And that right. is because of the chemistry change. We're blowing off a lot of CO2 when we're doing this deep sort of breathing. And CO2 is responsible for keeping the pH in balance. So we can bring the alkalinity up there's a lot of um, research back in the 30s. This guy, Dr. Otto Warburg, won the Nobel Prize actually in 1932 for linking alkalinity in the body to destroying cancer cells, also bacteria and virus cells. So I, my research showed me just peripheral research because when you bring up alkalinity, it sounds a little hokey. And I was trying to look and see what that was about. And it seems to me like in the 80s and 90s, a bunch of people tried to come on board and sell people like apple cider vinegars and stuff like that, saying that this will make your body alkaline, thus you'll be healthy. Um, but you can't easily make the body, the body's pH is very narrow. You can't change mm. it through, through diet very much, but we can temporarily change it through the blood. Uh, okay. And it seems as though you're, the body's highly alkaline. It will destroy the DNA of bacteria and viruses. And now I'm someone who was sick constantly from that, the kind of way I lived my early life. Right. Uh, 
Later, I did martial arts and I would compete. I would compete. I was sick so often I would compete sick because if I didn't, it was like I just never would have competed. So mm. to date, I mean, knock on wood, but it's been almost seven years and uh, I've only had one cold in seven years of doing this. Not even sort of a cold. That's not to say I haven't felt run down. Maybe a couple of times I felt run down. I do my practices and I felt better. And the one time I did get a cold, I really, it was early on in my practice and I, I really brought it on myself. Uh, Chris, so, how, how, how old are you now, if I might ask? 36. Okay. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. I want to hear about, so you, I want to hear about your students now. So you're, you're yeah, sorry, long -winded. no, no, it's okay. Yeah. You're, it's important to hear how this has impacted you. It's a compelling story in itself. And, and so you, now you've, I like how you describe duty, what's in front of you to do. <laughs> Cause I definitely feel like the younger generation, like my generation down, we're always like, what's my duty? What's my duty? And we're like forever floating in mental land until we yeah. die. So you're like, yeah. like, what's in front of you to do? And right. so you figured out that I'm going to, I'm going to teach this and people started um, joining and I'm going to hear about the impact that's been on their lives as reported to you from them. Yeah, sure. That, um, yes, what's in front of me to do, it felt really, really important. You know, I didn't want to do this. I don't like being um, in front of groups of people, honestly, you know, and so it took a lot for me, but I felt like it was a responsibility. And so I set up some online workshops at first, uh, trying to feel it out. So I was doing some Zoom workshops where I would just do a slide show and explain all the science and, and try to make it very compelling, not too heady. But just to give the intellect, I try to split my workshops into two parts. The first part is speaking to the intellect and making you understand, I want to do this and trust it. And then we go into the experiential, the breathing, and in person, we do the cold. So I was doing online workshops, uh, like one a week, and they were filling up mostly just by word of mouth, which I thought, okay, this is a good sign. Uh, a lot of people are sending their family, you know, uh, someone would do it, their brother and their mom would show up the next time. And that gave me some good encouragement, like, okay, this is giving people some, some value. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was getting messages about, man, that was the first time in this long. I haven't, you know, went a day without getting a headache or, um, got one of the most impactful ones was a girl who had rheumatoid arthritis, uh, childhood rheumatoid arthritis, which I didn't uh, even know was. And, um, she's in, was 30, I believe early thirties. And she, when we did our workshop and she wrote me the next day. And so that was the first time that I, I haven't had pain without medication in as long as I can remember since I was a child. Dang. And um, it's really nice having a little bit of bhakti behind me and being able to make sure that it's like my ego is not going anywhere th with this. Like I understand that I'm just in a position. I've been put in a position, given the tools to pass this on to other people. I didn't make up any of this stuff, you know? Um, so then I started doing bigger workshops. I'm trying to remember the first couple I did. It all just was put in front of me. You know, someone would call me up and say, for some reason I ended up, I guess I'm just a traveler by nature. Um, I don't know if a lot of other Wim Hof instructors do this. I feel like a lot of Wim Hof instructors like have their zone and they just do stuff. You know, let's say I'm in Portland, they do their Portland thing and maybe travel around a little bit. But I was like a full-time traveling Wim Hof workshop person. I was flying twice a month all over the country um, and holding workshops. And it was a little complicated because I had to 
feel out where people were at. This is in the midst of a pandemic. So I wasn't mm. teaching um, normally, you know, I had to make sure that the space was adequate for everyone to feel comfortable that we were ventilated and, um, and things like that. But ultimately it, it kept working out and I just kept getting more and more messages from people that it really, really helped them. Um, well, I went on a wisdom and the sages, uh, retreat with Nepal, uh, to Nepal with Raghu. And, uh, or I guess it was just a Raghu retreat. It wasn't a wisdom of the sages retreat, but we went to Nepal all the same. And, mm. um, I got to just lead a couple breathing sessions there. Not like a full class or anything. We're just in the Himalayas. Let's sit down over here. Let's do some breathing. And it was just kind of off the cuff. And in one of those sessions, I had two people who had, um, full on transcendental experiences with, with visions and colors and lights. And this isn't everybody's thing. It doesn't happen to everyone. either. <laughs> <laughs> but one of those people said um, they saw, you know, probably 40 something years old for the first time in their life. Oh, I saw the root of my trauma and now I'm able to start dealing with it. So just wow. being able to be a service in that way, to be able to, to, pass on this thing and also like this is just yeah this is what's in front of me this is what i'm passionate about these are the tools that i have um, that's motivated me to keep going and um yeah by my connection with the students is i'm i'm always expressing that i'm not here for business i'm here to to spread this i don't even like calling what i do a business you know I'm trying to think of something else to call an offering or something like that. <laughs> now I do notice that when I didn't charge, people didn't take it as seriously. You know, and I guess this is a common thing that people in, in various health and wellness have uh, echoed to me or said, "Oh yeah, like we all know that already." But um, but what I try to tell everyone that I teach is that I'm here because I really believe in this. I believe that this has the potential to put many aspects of health back into our own hands and give us the power. And I know that many things like this have happened before throughout modern history where like the thing that could, a thing that could really work comes and it gets just squashed because it's just that we have this money system, you know, and it's not conducive to things like this being popular. So I try to express to my students that I'm here for not for money. I'm here to help and I want to spread this. You can always write me. Uh, keep asking me questions. The way to keep this alive is through us, through us sharing it with each other from a grassroots level. No one's going to do it for us. Amazing. I want to know, um, so Wim Hof was this, this main thing that you've been trained in, and then you started getting into this oxygen advantage. What is it called? Yeah, advantage. Oxygen event. So what's that and how, what's the connection or how did you start to get into this? Yeah, they yeah. complement each other really well. On one, on one hand, they almost look like opposites. And I think there might be some people out there who find, who see the contradictions rather than the similarities in them. Mm. Um, oxygen advantage is something that was born of a method called Buteco. And Buteco, Buteco. yeah, Buteco was a doctor uh, in Russia, I believe in the, 50s and um he was watched a lot of he sat with a lot of dying people for a project he was doing or for some research and he was noticing the way that they were breathing towards the end of their life and he started to be able to predict when they were going to die like within the hour based on their breathing patterns 
Mm. Um, and then in the 50s and the 60s, uh, science really didn't care much like it doesn't that much now about what you can do on your own. And so he had been diagnosed with a fatal form of hypertension that he was given 12 months to live. And he started to notice when he breathed lighter, he felt better. And he cured himself of this hypertension. And then he started working with people with asthma. Now, he kept trying to get this into the scientific literature, and it was really, really difficult. He was being stonewalled all over the place. Um, but at one point, he did a, a very large study, and 100% of the people uh, increased, uh, experienced vast improvements in the conditions that they were working with. Oxygen Advantage is run by this guy, Patrick McCune. He is in Ireland, and he had asthma himself for most of his life until I think he was probably in his 30s when he went and trained with Dr. Buteco and noticed that his asthma went away uh, really, really quickly. And he went, he left his corporate job and went full on into teaching Buteco. And then he developed the Oxygen Advantage, which was initially geared more towards um, increasing athletic performance and things like that. And uh, that's, I, I learned it just as a, to know more about breathing. Well, actually the way that I got into it, I had chronic problems with my nose, probably from the surgeries and from mouth breathing my whole life. So it, it's like a use it or lose it situation with the nose. I never used it. I couldn't use it. I didn't know how to breathe through my nose. I couldn't, I couldn't take a breath through my nose. And um, not that long ago, only like a year or two ago, I saw that oxygen advantage was claiming, hey, we can clear your nose in five minutes. <laughs> and I thought, well, I've, I've tried everything. Nothing's worked. Neti pot for months at a time. You know, nothing's worked. Diet, um, all sorts of stuff. And so I did this really simple exercise to clear my nose and it worked. And um, now my nose was stuffy again later that day. And But I did the exercise again. And over the, I made a vow to myself where if this works, I'm going to give this a couple of weeks. And if my nose is relatively clear, I'm signing up. So I didn't actually know that it was geared towards, let's say, athletes or, or whatever. I just thought if they have if they can do this for me, I want to know about that more. So, um, yeah, I kept doing the exercises and it really it really worked. What the oxygen advantage is, is teaching people how to breathe functionally. Functionally means mm. breathing through the nose, not the mouth. Functionally means breathing light, breathing slowly and breathing deeply. What is what do you mean with light? What I is mean, light breathing? Not gasping, not taking very, very big breaths. We want to match our breathing needs with our metabolic needs. So an average rate of breath these days in our high stress world is something like up to 16 breaths per minute. What a breath should be, the average rate of breath or breath to meet our metabolic needs is more like six breaths per minute. <laughs> So we got to go from 16 to six. It's not that hard. It happens pretty quickly, actually. Um, but simply by going to the nose, switching the nose, you've got like half your battle is won because the nose is designed. The mouth is designed to eat and to talk. It's not designed to breathe. The nose is designed for breathing. It adds resistance. Your breath is naturally less when you breathe through the nose. It filters the air and warms the air. So by the time it comes to your lungs, it's the right temperature has the right environment. And also it filters uh, particulates out such as viruses and things like that. It helps, it creates another barrier. Mm. 
So yeah, Octane Advantage and Buteco are a series of exercise exercises to help you switch to nasal breathing and help you reduce the respiratory rate. So then, for example, if you're breathing 16 breaths per minute all the time, you're tapping into your fight or flight system like full time, you know? And we don't want to be there. We only want to be there when we need to be there. Mm. So uh, did you just, uh, oh, sorry, Corona. What is, I just want to know, like, what is the what is then the essential difference between like oxygen advantage and the Wim Hof method and what's the similarity just to get a distinction here yeah so the Wim Hof method is not functional breathing um what the Wim Hof method is like I touched on before 30 to 40 breaths it's almost the opposite of functional breathing the reason it's the opposite of functional breathing is because we're using it as a stimulus we're using it to stimulate essentially a hormonal response uh, when you breathe like that you dump a ton of co2 and then you're able to hold your breath for a very long period of time now we're not trying to hold our breath particularly for some period of time but when you are holding your breath for a long period of time you're very calm because you're doing this consciously and calmly but these deep old parts of your brain don't know that you're calm they all they know is that the oxygen is not there for two minutes three minutes or whatever it is and the brainstem gets activated the adrenal axis gets axis gets activated adrenaline's liberated in the body when adrenaline's liberated in the body the immune system function is ramped up and all these other physiological uh, things take place that turn out to be beneficial a little stimulus uh, oxygen advantage is teaching us how we breathe the other 23 and a half hours of the day you know, and night sleeping and waking. So did you, are, did you, just, combo. <laughs> <laughs> did you, are you, so oxygen advantage is a little bit newer for you. Are you like starting a training with that or you said uh, you, I, there was this two weeks, like if they can clear my nose issue, yeah. I'm a sign up. So you yeah. signed up, signed up. Um, yeah, I studied it for the last year and I've started working with people in the last six months or so. Um, and yeah, I've noticed that it's nice to have this toolbox that's, that's growing, you know, I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to keep learning more and more, but, um, when someone comes to me, it's a weird thing. I'm sure other people in, in various forms of health modalities can relate to this, but you know, I just found out a really old friend of mine is struggling with COPD. Now, A, my first feeling. What's for that? Sorry, I'm a little slow. Oh, it, it's, a, it's a pulmonary disorder. It's um, okay. issues with the lungs. And so uh, it's common right now as we're in this kind of two years of respiratory pandemic stuff. But uh, he had it for other reasons. He's in Northern California and he's been living under fires and stuff like that for a very right. long time. And, um, and so I hear about that and I feel, oh, that's. That's really, I feel really bad for him. And then the second part of me gets kind of excited when I hear about a friend or someone I know with a problem because I think, oh, maybe I can offer them this thing to, to help them. <laughs> uh, so when I've, I'm using oxygen advantage when people have respiratory issues, generally. Respiratory issues, anxiety can help. Uh, it can help with anxiety as well. And sometimes I'm mixing these things if I'm not teaching someone directly Wim Hof or directly oxygen advantage or a functional breathing thing, um, I, I get to mix them up. I had someone come to me recently. That's more like, um, he's in the corporate world and 
he's a spiritual guy. He has had a practice for a long time. And he asked, hey, can you help me design a program that's based on breathing that will help me with my work, help me with my sadhana, um, and also put me in more of a warrior mindset? And so I mix these things. Like I use some advanced cold exercises that are kind of outside of the ice bath. And um, and we use some, well, if we can functionally breathe all the time. The thing about that respiratory rate, going back to it, is carbon dioxide is the key to both of these things. We're, we're dumping carbon dioxide with the Wim Hof method to elicit certain responses. And with the Buteco and oxygen manage, we're actually building a tolerance to carbon dioxide. We don't, mm. our trigger to breathe isn't low oxygen. Our trigger to breathe is high CO2, right? So if you're very sensitive to carbon dioxide, that's going to make you breathe more often because when you stop breathing, carbon dioxide builds up, right? Mm. And so you have these arrow receptors in the brain and every time they say, oh, that's too much carbon, they trigger you to take a breath. So in the oxygen advantage, when you're breathing light, you're breathing less, you're getting used to higher levels of carbon dioxide in the body. Now, carbon dioxide is also the thing that can elicit fear. You know, that's the thing that makes you feel like, oh, no, I need to breathe. It's connected mm. to the amygdala. The sensors for carbon dioxide are, are in and around the amygdala. So part of his uh, kind of calmness training and warrior training was, okay, let's do some exercises where we're holding the breath and we're walking and you're facing that feeling, that panicky feeling, but we're consciously relaxing into it. You know, mm. a lot of the key to a lot of this stuff is doing things that would otherwise be really, really alarming and elicit panic on your own terms. Um, when you get in very cold water, you know, what's the first thing that happens? Uh, <clears throat> I go to the back of the wall and like have to like do one of these like double dutch moves before i actually jump in the mind like freaks out basically what are you doing bro stop yeah, the mind freaks out and normally there's a <gasps> there's a gasp right right, right. And what that gasp is is norepinephrine being released from the brain inducing a panic response hmm. so why is that good well this is good because if we do this on our own terms here we are we get to face we know we're safe we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. We get to face that feeling of panic, that hormonal feeling of panic, and confront it and rewire how we deal with it. So then later in life, when you're not doing it on purpose and that, that feeling comes, whatever it is, someone cuts you off, you get some bad news, you've been there so many times and you've wired the brain to instead of running wild, being in a very centered state. Mm. Mm, that's why you're so grounded and present. <laughs> we got two questions that are basically the same question, which is a good question. Um, essentially, where do beginners start? And <clears throat> Govinda Madhava, he's saying here, it's a long one, but the last part, can you do too much too fast and hurt yourself? I know in the yoga, like in pranayama system, my friend, She's like a proper yogi. Like I said, she does a minimum an hour pranayama practice before japa. Sometimes she has pranayama like sadhana, which can go up to two hours, three hours. And she was saying in yoga shastra, pranayama is one of the only angas out of the eight that are, you know, classically understood ashtanga yoga. 
pranayama is one of the only ones that's compared to like a tiger that has to be tamed. Mm. And if you don't tame it properly, you can, yeah, hurt yourself. You could really do damage to yourself. So yeah, Govinda Madhava's question and also Michelle, same question. Like, where does a beginner, how does a beginner get started with this? And can you do too much too fast? Yeah. Uh, I'll start with the latter, actually. You, yeah. you can do too much too fast. The key to the Wim Hof method, you'll hear time and time again, no force. You really mm. have to listen to the body. So no force means, first of all, we're not breathing with a, a tremendous amount of force. We need to be relaxed when we do it. In mm. our retentions, we're not trying to meet some mark. Oh, I did two minutes last time. I'm going to do two minutes and five seconds this time of no air in my lungs. Um, and in the cold, same thing. I'm going to stay in for 20 minutes right now. Now, there's a time where maybe there's this very specific reason why you want to push some things. But as a beginner, it, it is the key is to not force anything and to listen to the body. If you're listening to the body in these general protocols, the protocol is 30 to 40 breaths, three to four rounds. And we can explain exactly what that is in, in a bit. Um, you're not going to go too far. Uh, sometimes I go on various forums uh, on the internet and just try to answer questions for people who are, are newer to this. And um, you'll hear that a lot. Well, I did 17 rounds and this went wrong. Yeah, that's that's too much. That's too much. This is, keep in mind, a stimulus. A stimulus means it's a stressor. Right. You don't want to overstress the body. No. Um, with OA, with oxygen advantage and, and functional breathing, Again, you're listening to the body to get to the point where we're more tolerant to carbon dioxide so we can breathe less. We're doing some specific exercises that if you feel they're not dangerous at all, um, you know, if you're pregnant or maybe epileptic on both of these, uh, Wim Hof and Oxygen Advantage, you might want to check with your doctor. There's some times to not do it, but they're not going to harm you. But if you start feeling panicky or something like that, you take a break, you back off. Mm. So this, I just want to bring this up because because there may be a contradiction in like like you're saying listen to the body, but then like a lot of this is also like not listening to the body when the body freaks out, you know. <laughs> so like, how do you make that distinction? Mm, yeah. Good question. I I think about that. Well, the first thing I would say is that listening to the body and listening to the to the mind are different. You know, the oh. mind might tell you, let's go back to that cold water. You get in an ice bath, get out. This is bad. This is wrong. This is not good. And you really check in with the body. What's happening? Okay, my vascular system's taking over. It's shunting the veins in the extremities. Now I'm warming back up. I'm okay. I'm just fine. So there's a difference mm. between listening to the mind and listening to the body. <laughs> wow. But there is... Yeah, there is some some interplay there that I'm also, I mean, it's, you got listen to someone you trust, listen to yourself more than anything else where you're, you're playing with some of these things, you know, you're, you can push a little bit in different directions. Um, but the basic, we're talking about how to get started and, and not to do too much getting started is follow these basic guidelines that other people who have done it for a long time have kind of put forth. And someday, did Wim Hof do the Wim Hof method? No, Wim Hof didn't do a Wim Hof method. Wim Hof just followed the feeling that felt right to him, you know? And he discovered, whoa, I'm tapping into some really powerful stuff. And then distilled mm -hmm. this in a way that was 
safe and easy for beginners. Um, so there's an important caveat here is with the breathing. We, we do breathing in that method and we do cold. We don't do them together. Um, because we're dumping so much CO2 and we're changing with the uh, balance of when the trigger for when we need to breathe, passing out is possible. It doesn't happen often, but there's no problem with passing out if you're on your mat or seated somewhere comfortable. There is a problem if you're in a lake or an ice <laughs> um, We separate those things. And what made you think of that is in the beginning, Wim came to the stuff through the cold. You know, he'd always been attracted to cold. He'd always, he said when he was 12 and the other kids were out there playing, he was like studying the Gita and stuff like that. And um, so he'd always been interested in, in pranayama and Vedic culture and things like that. And later in life, he had uh, four children uh, with a woman that he loved very much who suffered from depression. And right. she, took her, she took her life and he was left with four kids and very little money. And he just knew that, he had to be there for those kids. The world wasn't going to stop for him and that the cold made him feel good. And then that's the point where he really doubled down, tripled down on, on that cold exposure and, um, and was doing things like when you get in the cold again, there's that initial feeling, right? And you can do a couple things there. You can fight it or you can go with it. Right. And if you fight it, you're going to lose, you're going to feel bad and cold. If you go with it, that essentially is where the breathing method was born. And so he was doing these long breath holds, doing the breathing at the top of the water, breath hold, and sitting on the bottom of the water. Um, we would never, ever, ever advise anyone to do that because it, the potential for going wrong is high. I only say that to point out that he pioneered this method and many people who do these radical things, they push. But as a beginner, to get in touch, to get in tune, just kind of follow the protocols. <laughs> I I have two questions. Firstly, what what This is one of the most fascinating discussions we've ever had, Jai. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm so It I'm, is fascinating. I'm totally enchanted. Okay, my question. Um Chris, what is the utility of this of this realm of work or 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 practice or technique in um helping people to deal with addictions? Oh yeah. That's good. So one of the reasons you can do 20 minutes in ice cold or, or Wim, one of his world records was uh, about two hours in ice up to his neck um, without his core temperature going down. And right. you can only withstand stuff like this if you have some help. <laughs> and so what the cold does and the breathing, they, there's a lot, it's like a Venn diagram. There's a lot that overlaps. So the three pillars of the Wim Hof method is the breathing, the cold and the mindset. Sometimes we call it commitment. None of that stuff's new, right? People have been talking about each one of these things for thousands of years and they're all beneficial in and of themselves. But when you put the three together, there's so much overlap between them that it's just exponentially more powerful, right? And uh, when you get- can, can you say them again? I have slug mind. Just say, oh say the three things again. Breathing. Yeah. Cold. Gradual cold exposure. Uh -huh. Mindset or commitment. So the mindset comes just really by virtue of approaching these other things on a regular basis, even having a daily routine, you know, builds a strong mindset. But also we're getting so many feel good hormones and you actually feel better in your body. Um, that's that's a platform for a strong mindset. So to answer that question you just asked, though, 
is uh, when you're in cold for a long period of time, you're, you're there comfortably because you're able to access the brainstem, an area called the periaqueductal gray hemisphere. Mm. And this has been shown on brain scans. And that is where the cannabinoids and the opioids are activated in the body. So this is another thing that Wim said that I thought was complete hyperbole. He'd walk around and say, get high on your own supply. You know, <laughs> like, he was basically, he was being literal. Like we're getting, we're getting these really feel, feel good hormones that, um, that build strength. And so for addictive addiction and things like that, if you can find, to me, abstinence is important, but transference I've seen work really, really well. So abstinence and not abstinence just by, there's nothing to fill that gap. I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not a counselor or drug therapist. I just, I grew up in the Lower East Side, you know, around a lot of people <laughs> who had substance abuse problems. And, um, I, we're all trying to fill a hole that we've, you can call it, like I like to think about it as this deviation from nature, you know, and part of that deviation from nature, uh, it, it's all the same thing. It's all spirit. You know, we're, we're mm. not connected to this big hole and people try to fill it with materialism and it doesn't work and people try to fill it with drugs. And so if you can fill that with something else with this feeling of connection, and that's what I found here, you know, all the health stuff was side benefits for me. For me, the connection was big. And you can get kind of a hit, so to speak. I don't want to turn anyone off in this community by saying that. But I mean, it just it feels good. And you're accessing similar places. And from a trauma point of view, um, I had because of that disconnection of the heart, I had a lot of like anger issues, not in the way that most people talk about that. Not like I would um, get angry constantly. But I only felt comfortable when things were really intense, when I was angry. You could take me to Ikea to buy furniture and I would lose my, I like, I felt like I was going to have a meltdown, but like there's a car crash in front of me and someone needs help. And, you know, like I know what to do. Like then I felt very tuned in and I've realized now being slightly more mature that I would seek out a lot of crazy, you know, environments and stuff like that, just so I could feel normal. Well, mm. with this Hoff method, I tried so many things. I tried, you know, retreats and meditations and plant medicines. And, and I had a lot of interesting experiences, but nothing really shifted this like entire lifetime of programming. You know, how much mm. can you shift in a weekend? Let's say some people have luck with it. I, I didn't. With the Wim Hof method, every day I sat down to do my breathing. I was feeling good. I was rebalancing the hormones, rebalancing the hormones. And so I got to form a new baseline over time. And uh, I think that 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 combined with actually tapping into the source, you know, of uh, of where, where one might want to um, just feel good. That's what people are generally trying to do when mm. they're getting help. It can help with addiction. The anecdotal, I, I like to talk about the things with this stuff that are studied, you know, that I have the science to pull out mm. and say, look. But I don't think the anecdotal evidence should be ignored either, because at this point, the Wim Hof method has reached you know, millions of people by, by word of ear and by practice, hundreds of thousands. And, uh, and I've, I've heard stuff that can't quite, or at least the science hasn't caught up, you know, yet. And uh, anecdotally, just tons and tons of people 
have had good success with um, breaking addictive cycles. Can you share like one, one or two stories just because anecdotal, I mean, yeah, anecdotal stuff counts for something. Hmm. Let me think what I got. You know, not with addiction, but one I just experienced myself. Uh, I've experienced a couple of times. Uh, I've also heard about a lot is with um, accelerated wound healing. I don't know mm. why it works, but it works. So one of my early teachers uh, in one of my first sections of my teacher trainings for this, uh, for the Wim Hof certification, he was um, he's a Dutch guy, science teacher, uh, and he was a white rapper. He's an interesting, interesting guy. In a Wim Hof method. <laughs> um, now he's doing his own thing. He wrote a book recently called uh, Mindless. Uh, Casper is his name. He told a story to us. And he said when he was first doing the Wim Hof method, or at least early on in his, in his uh, practice with it, he was doing one of these adventure races. And there was some horses also doing their own thing, like on the same playing field, so to speak. And mm. he was kicked by a horse and shattered his um, radial bone. So he started doing the breathing right away. People thought he was freaking out and hyperventilating. No, no, I I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. He's doing the breathing and feeling all sorts of, you know, activity in the area and and the pain reducing. And then he goes to the hospital. They put on a cast. And a week or so later, I think I feel better. Took the cast off, went back to the hospital, got x-rayed. And they couldn't believe it. The bone was nearly healed. You know, this, this isn't possible, but they're, but they're looking at, you know, Whoa. Um, I've had this at a, when I was visiting home, my uh, dad lives in Jersey and I was visiting for Christmas a few years back. And I was, I do jujitsu and I went to visit a jujitsu gym there. And, um, and I got my shoulder popped. I got caught in a submission. It got cranked and I heard a pop, pop, pop. And I was, pretty bummed. I love being able to do martial arts and be physical. I was like, oh, this is going to take me out for a while. Let me see if I can use these tools and see what they do. And so, you know, December in New York, um, man, the shower at his house, it's like a fire hydrant. So I did my breathing and it's almost like breathing into the area. It almost felt like the shoulder was like a lung. Like I was just directing all that energy and the blood flow right there. And then after I did that, a few rounds of that, I went to the shower and I did contrast shower where I would do ice cold water for a minute, two minutes on this. And then I would switch to warm. And my idea was to get the vascular system to close and open, close and open, just to make sure blood flow was moving. And the breathing Mm. was to get inflammation down. And uh, I didn't get an x-ray, so I don't know what the extent of the injury was. Uh, It's totally fair to be skeptical. And I feel like most people will probably think, that wasn't probably a real injury, but I, I was better, 90% better inside of like a week and a half. Um, in my opinion, from having done a lot of martial arts and athletics and stuff, that was like a three month injury. Mm. So. Mm. Wow, man. Amazing. Okay. Final question. What's like the relationship between um, breath work and the other kind of you could say like classic realms of health, like diet, exercise, um, et cetera, like sleep. What, what is the, how is it all, how does it all come together? Maybe, maybe from your own personal experience. Well, from my own personal and from a broader experience, everything you mentioned are extremely fundamental uh, aspects of health, except for one of them, 
people don't know is a fundamental aspect of health. And the breathing being one of the most fundamental and foundational, you know, you can go without food for how long? You can go without water. You can even go without sleep for that for a while. It's not a good idea. You can't go without breath for but a minute, you know? Um, so I, I would say that the fact that it's overlooked is what jumps out to me. All of those things go together and they're very, very important. But the breath is some of the most fundamental, some of the most foundational stuff. And the other stuff rests on it. If you're breathing mm. through your mouth, let's say, so we've talked so much about Wim Hof, we'll kind of let's switch it over for this last question to oxygen advantage and, and Buteco. If you're breathing through your mouth during the day, guess what? You're breathing through your mouth during the night. If you're breathing your mouth the night, sleep apnea is not just a thing that people with really thick necks have. Sleep apnea is <laughs> snoring is having sleep apnea. Sleep apnea, if you're if you're sleeping with your mouth, if you're breathing through your mouth, it needs to be open to some degree, right? If it's open, the tongue is not in its proper position and it can slide back and block the throat. If it blocks the throat in the middle of the night, <gasps> you wake up. Now we're so adaptable, we get used to it. You don't even notice, you know, but a lot of people with um, with any sort of apnea problem or snoring, they're waking up many, many times per hour, you know, so you're never now the body's trying to do its hormonal thing from the moment we wake up, which is why, you know, Vedic culture uh, recommends waking up at a certain time and Ayurveda sleeping at a certain time. You're on this hormonal roller coaster and it's supposed to peak and valley at very specific mm. times. Yeah. In your biorhythm, right? In tune with the sun. So now. In nighttime, as you're sleeping, the bio, the uh, hormones are trying to do their thing, but you're waking up. You're waking up. Uh, you're going to deep sleep. So now we have our sleeps off. And you can have the best diet in the world, but if the body's not doing what it's supposed to do during sleep, how much are you going to benefit? Again, we are so adaptable. We can live this way for a really long time, but the quality of life is different. And I really do believe what, what Wim is constantly saying, that happy, healthy, and strong. That's for everybody. That's not something that's um, just for a small select group of people. We are all built to be that way. We've just deviated so, so far from what's normal. Yeah. These are some simple ways to get back. Comfort is question. violence to the soul. Mm, mm. Beautiful. My last question is... You can talk a little bit about what you're trying to start or have started your sovereign souls, maybe mm -hmm. business model. I, my, I guess, question is also just how might someone get in touch with you? Maybe take one of your workshops or, you know, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to reach out because I could use a little um, Buteco or oxygen advantage. I've been having a chronic, I didn't grow up with asthma, but I've been, I have a, like a chronic breathing problem that usually happens at least one time a year. <clears throat> for a few days, sometimes twice. Usually if there's a, a major change in altitude, and I'll, I get like really scared because I started using a, what do you call it? Like a breathalyzer where my yeah. chest just closes up. And I remember one year when I was living in the ashram, it got so bad. I legitimately thought I was about to die. Like it got so bad. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a breathalyzer near me. So I'm definitely going to reach out to you personally because I'm interested in breathing through my, just throughout this conversation, I've been like, am I breathing through my nose? Mm -hmm. yeah me too me too I'm like, I'm like now. <laughs> that's where it all starts just that awareness that's a that's a great place to start yeah, yeah and um as it looks like govindamana was saying yeah i'm interested in learning more i'm 
definitely interested in learning more. I mean, this sounds superhuman, or this word is used by um, Nietzsche, I think, Ubermensch. I'm like, mm. this sounds like some Ubermensch stuff that I'm all for it. And I'll be personally reaching out, but how might someone get in touch with you, get in touch with this sovereign soul thing that you're doing? Like, you can speak about that. We can end there. Yeah, sure. Well, what I'm trying to do is just pass on the message of these people through my own unique filter and experiences. But I'm I'm just trying to help people and make sure, like I said before, that we keep this stuff alive at a grassroots mm. level. Because this is for the people. You know, this is not something once you learn these principles, they're yours. You don't need me. You don't need. Women. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and so that's a slow climb, you know, to, to, right. to maintain. But even so, it's happening. It's happening right now. So that's all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help people um, use the breath and understand what kind of tool or what kind of tools it can be. And I just uh, have a very nice devotee helped me make a website recently. It's uh, Sovereign Souls, spelled S-O-V-R-N, uh, souls, S-O-U-L-S.com. It's just basic right now. It's got my contact on there. And so you can reach out to me there. Uh, I'm doing workshops. going to stay for the rest of the year, probably in the Oregon, California area. I've had enough traveling for this year. Um, I'm doing one-on-ones via Zoom. Uh, in which, you know, I'll take uh, intake of what's going on, what your goals are, and we can talk about writing a program tailored to you. Um, and also, I'm going to be doing group courses where instead of one workshop, which is usually, you know, a day long, a few hours, we can take, let's say, uh, Wim Hof Method or Oxygen Advantage and unpack them over the course of like four to six weeks. So like little mm. bits, take the practice home and try it on for a while and come back and let's touch base and and really build it. That's one thing. The workshop's a great immersive experience. I love the energy of having 25, 30 people in a room, everyone supporting each other in the ice bath, um, breathing together. There's something about breathing together. Again, the science isn't there yet, but the experience is palpable. It's much deeper when you're doing it in a group. The bigger the group, the more um, intense it tends to be. However, when you learn something one day, it's hard to come away and go, you get a taste for it. You know, that's like the seed. Yeah. Mm. So I want to do like longer format stuff. So yeah, just reach out to me there. I've been not a social media guy for many years. Um, I, I tend to kind of uh, not put myself out there, but I'm putting myself out there because I really believe in this and I want to connect with people. So uh, there's also... I just found Instagram Sovereign Souls Breathwork at Sovereign Souls Breathwork. Yeah. Yes. That's okay. It. Okay. Bro, Chris. Fascinating. Man. Yeah. <laughs> really, really grateful that, that um, you agreed to this. Really grateful to have. This is the longest conversation, of course, we've had. And um, but although we've connected earlier and realized I mean, <laughs> through Instagram, we're totally like minded. This has been educational for me and um, kind of inspiring even. Not kind of, actually inspiring. Yeah, man. Oh, thank you so much. I, so uh, much. I fully yeah. echo that. Um, well, I would love to uh, at some point yeah. take a place. We, uh, we usually. Okay.
Corona. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was. I was. Yeah. I was. I was lagging a little. Anyway, I think. I think we're good here. Yeah. Do we have something else? To yeah. Say? Yeah. But he was gonna say you were about to say something, Chris. Oh, at some at some other point in time, I'll take both of you guys through some breathing, just um, just so you can experience what the Wim Hof method is. Definitely amazing. Yeah. All righty. Okay. We're we'll uh, we'll end the broadcast. Jai, anything we need to tell the people? Not this week. Next week we okay. have a special guest friend. He's a cl closer friend of mine from Chicago, pre-med student, power lifter. So continuing on with this sort of health theme that we're doing for a, the last, uh, for at least a month, uh, we're literally in the last 10 days of our one year commitment to this podcast. Cause our, our first sort of motivation was like, can we maintain this for a whole year? A lot of podcasts have come and gone in this pandemic time. It's very hard yeah. to stay committed. We've like, okay, let's try it one year, 52 episodes. Let's see if we could do it. And you know, we're we're at 10 episodes in the countdown. So kind of excited about that, honestly. And we're gonna Yeah, man. Gosh. My computer just muted for some reason. Anyway, so looking forward to that. Join us for next week with the power lifter. I think it's going to be super cool. <laughs> the yeah, and, Ch and and Chris has got something to teach all of us guys. Like it's just so self evidently true that you know, like if you have a if you have like a human body, then you should know this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Chris. Hi, Krishna, yeah. everyone. I'm going to end thank the you, broadcast. Sir. Adi.